Welcome to episode 132 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Award-winning. The award-winning Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We're in good spirits. It's a Friday afternoon as we record, and we have the band back together. Pete's here. We missed you last week, Petey. I missed you guys. I was actually in the office, just on the other side of this wall that people can't here that you're pointing but there's, to but there's a wall right. yeah dealing with uh with some drama but that's part of the business and you got to be flexible and yeah miss the podcast so good hey clients come first <clears throat> yep yep and also today joining us is melissa cabanon howdy ho and phil Fariska. hey everybody phil this is your episode today i did put the notes together you did and it was well written surprisingly <laughs> well written a surprise for you <laughs> yeah i could surprise i was surprised and, delight. and delighted that phrase that is not all too overused at all in this industry. But I was both surprised and delighted, so thank you for putting the notes together. Do you want to give a kind of a brief synopsis of what we're going to be talking about? Sure. Um, just kind of looking at a recent article got me thinking that not enough hotels are taking a look at their website and seeing how their users behave on their website and how their content's performing. So we're going to kind of give you a little rundown of what you should be looking at, how you should look at it, and what you can do with what you find. Yeah, and there's a couple of different prisms through which we'll look at this or lenses that we'll look at, at the behavior. Are, are your guests misbehaving on your website? <laughs> that, should be, that should be the title. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, Pete, you said something earlier about are you watching how your guests behave, something like that. Yeah, I was coming up with this might be a little bit too risque. Yeah. I was thinking, your guest just did what? Guest behavior gone wrong. <laughs> nice. I don't know. <laughs> we gotta be clickbaity in the in the name of the yep. each episode. We haven't done that too much recently. We've been kinda of boring, so I think we need to go back to the, the silliness yeah. of the titles. You won't believe what your guests are doing when you're yeah. not looking. Shocked. Who tell you shocked <laughs> by the guest behavior? <laughs> nice. I right. like that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Melissa, do you want to do a duet with Pete today? Sure. <laughs> no better day than today. Than to yes, let's do a duet. Right. I can't even speak. <laughs> Maybe you, I can sing. Hopefully you can sing. Let's see what's going on in the news of ruse. All right. And a one, and a two. <laughs> with hotel, hotel marketing, marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news of ruse. Did you feel left out, Phil? I did. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what is going on in the newsrooms? Um, so Google recent rele recently released their new core algorithm update, uh, appropriately named the January 2020 update. Oh, they come up with some clickbaity names. really <laughs> So we don't really know exactly what was updated, but we do know that it's affecting rankings across the web. Um, so just keep an eye on your rankings. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know your content is getting worse or getting better, but in Google's rating system, things will change. So if you were ranking really high and now you're not, you need to evaluate who's beating you and figure out how you can make your content better to be better than theirs. Yeah, and it's always nerve-wracking, right? Especially when you rely heavily on Google for a lot of organic traffic and it's a large revenue stream for you. But really, and we've been preaching this for years now, if you understand what Google is trying to do, 
you shouldn't be too adversely affected when there's these shuffles. You, you, if you focus on, and we'll talk about content a lot in this episode, but if you focus on producing valuable quality content and following Google's very specific guidelines that they provide, you really don't see the volatility that you used to. There used to be times, you know, five years ago or so when you could go from number one on the first page to the third or fourth page overnight without really understanding why. And usually that's because you weren't following best practices. You'd maybe in the past done some shady gray hat stuff or link building efforts that weren't entirely, you know, appropriate. So, yeah, this is, this is essentially just a, a shuffle of, of the rankings based on what they find to fall in the new quality guidelines. So, and I think if you are a, a good marketer who has your customer's best interest, every time that there is an algorithm update, it's going to work in your behavior, your, your favor, because it's looking for what is best for the customer, giving the customer the answers that they need. Yep. If you're doing that, the people who get impacted by that are your competitors who are being shady or just not doing quite as good of a job of meeting the customers or, or guest needs. Yeah. So if you can do that, then every time there's an update, you're benefiting from it more than your competitor. Yeah, and if you look historically at the big updates that have really shaken things up, some of these have been rolled into the core now, but when they've done kind of separate algorithms, with, you know, Penguin and Panda and, and Hummingbird, they've always been trying to close the gap between you know what they're trying to do and what people have gained in, in terms of if you find an exploit exploit within Google and you you hone in on that and you try to accelerate your your growth potential, you may have short-term gains. You know, links is a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. How many people used to go and buy crappy links because it worked for a while. Whenever Google makes a change, it's usually to negate the, the positive impact that that had for people that were trying to gain the system. So you're always going to get your wrist slapped and it's always going to hurt you more in the long term. So don't try to exploit Google. Google knows all about trying to recover from those penalties is much harder than just doing it the right way the first time indeed yeah i've got one more yeah Um, so i found this today on skift so apparently there's a wellness certification for hotels and and hotels can apply for this i guess purchase it i'm not entirely sure how it works but it's we know that there are a lot of properties out there that claim to be wellness or have some type of health and wellness package mm-hmm. and now that now there's a, some kind of certification you can is go it by like for accredited this. or is it just some business that said hey i can make money by pretending to be an authority uh, it, on something. It, it seems fairly legit um but i guess the question is will guests care that you're accredited I don't. I don't know. I'm maybe. Maybe in the future, maybe it'll be like a little badge on TripAdvisor that you're a wellness hotel. But again, right. Do, well, I, I haven't care? read this article, and I don't know the companies. So I'm not going to vouch for them per se. But what I will say is, as we move towards a society where, you know, the big guys are going to be the big guys and gobble up each other, to where Google is the only person that's really doing things on scale. You have to lean into what makes you unique and special. And if well, health and wellness is something that makes you unique and special, then any differentiator you can get, any accreditation you can get, anything that you can put as a banner on your website and say, I am special because X, Y, Z, I think you should you should evaluate it. Now, I don't know if these are the right guys, but I think it's a good idea if that's something that you're passionate about. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement. I would imagine if a, a lot of health and wellness hotels 
And it seems to be that this is more being adopted by corporate office buildings at the moment. But once hotels start jumping on board and there are, you know, more than more than a handful in your area that have, have this accreditation and you do not, and, and you are a health and wellness property, it's probably something you should jump on or guests will choose the other instead of you. Mm-hmm. We'll just make up fake certifications. There you go. I just got, I just got the Pete um, certification for being awesome. Yeah, it's not easy to get. It's not. No? <clears throat> How do I get one of those? You got to be awesome. Yeah, you got to be inside. How much do you require, Pete? It's 50 bucks. Oh, okay, sweet. <laughs> Just refill the keg before the next podcast and you're good. <laughs> nice. All right, so that's the news of Roos. Let's jump into our next segment on the show, shall we? I'm trying to be a professional host all of a sudden. The next segment. It's the stat of the week. Stat of the week. If you didn't know what that sound meant, it meant we have some electrifying stats for you. That was the the, the supercomputers crunching their numbers and spinning out some really cool data. So, Melissa, do you have some really cool data for us? Uh, somebody has some really cool data for us. I shall partake in the data. Of speaking <laughs> of the data. Am I drunk today? <laughs> no, I Phil think did I not might fill be. the keg. Jeez. So, we've mentioned this stat in previous episodes, but our findings from, guess who's 2019 leisure study? Fuels. Fuels. Award-winning fuel podcast. We found that 86.7% of people say that they visit the hotel's website before making a reservation. But also, put that in conjunction with stat number two, dose. We also found from an Amazon Web Services UX study that 88% of online shoppers say they would not return to a website after having a bad user experience. So what does that mean? Wow. So that means if 87% of people come to your site and then 88% have a bad experience and leave, you got less than, you got negative you 1% negative of people. negative traffic. Yeah. That's not how math works, <laughs> but it's kind of funny. But it sounds like most of the people won't come back to your website if you have a bad yep. experience. It sure does. Yeah. You're getting a lot of people to your site. Make sure they don't have a bad experience or they won't return. Yeah. So it, it, to, to reference something about this, go listen to last week's ranty <laughs> episode from Melissa. If your booking engine sucks, that's part of your website and it will reflect poorly and people will not come back. So... You know you're getting 87% of people come to your website. Do a better job of keeping them there and making sure they come back again and again. Don't suck. Don't suck. <laughs> really that simple. That should be our tagline for the this whole show. We don't suck? No. It's, it's advice. This is an advice show. Right? Oh, right. So don't it should suck. Be, yeah. Don't suck. The yeah. Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast says don't suck. That could be our shirt. Yes. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would, that would get the Pete Award for awesome. That would. Mm. I'd wear that, too. All right. So let's jump into our, our subject at hand, shall we? We're talking right. about consumer behavior on the website. We're going to look and slice and dice this from a few different perspectives. So what's the first perspective we're going to look at this from? Uh, the first thing we're looking at is tracking your user behavior and um, how people are interacting with, with your site. Um, potentially the most important piece of this whole thing is understanding you know what people are doing when they when they hit when they hit your site what are they doing when they hit a specific page uh, what information are they seeking after they hit a certain page so it's a couple things that you should be monitoring we'll start with what on page elements are they clicking on what are the most important things 
on any given page, let's take the homepage for example, what is the most clicked on button on your homepage? Is that what you want it to be? Should it be something different? Do you need to rearrange? Um, secondarily, how far are they scrolling on the page? Do you have a giant page that contains too much information that they don't care about after a while? Um, what behavior patterns can you see on a page or across multiple pages? Um, are people leaving your site to find necessary information elsewhere? Uh, are you not providing enough information or not providing it in a way they want to consume it? Things like reviews, nearby attractions, things like that. Um, and is there a reason that users may not feel secure providing you with their information? Like your booking engine isn't on your domain. <laughs> Or doesn't look like the rest of your website. Or doesn't website. look like all the right, rest right. of your website. Last week's episode has concluded. <laughs> just giving people what they want, yeah. Pete. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not just the security. It's it's doubt in general, right? It, it, and that could be that you're not answering the question that they have about, you know, if I'm traveling with kids, I might want to know, you know, is there a separate space for them or some privacy divider or, or something like that? So I, I need to see a floor plan. You know, that might be information that's important to me. Are, are you, so this is the type of thing you can find. Do you have a floor plan on your page, but nobody scrolled far enough to, to see, see it? it? Right. Yeah. So when you're, you're talking about earlier with, with the, you know, what are they clicking on on the site and how are they scrolling? You really should, when you're developing a website, you should really start with a, a content architecture first before the, you even get to design and, and wireframes and things like that. But start thinking about what is the most important content and not, not what is the most important content to you, meaning uh, my spa is really important and I need to put that front and center, but what's going to be most important to help the guest make the decision that they need to make? And that's the content that needs to be prioritized because positioning and how it's visually pro projected, all that stuff is going to influence how people interact with their behavior on the website. And so, less is more in that case because everyone is looking for something specific. But if you put everything specific on your homepage, it's going to be so confusing. People are going to get lost. So you want to kind of create those silos of, you know, is this person, what, what funnel are they working their way through? You know, are they an existing guest? Are they a new guest? You know, are, are they returning? Whatever it might be. And making sure you're answering those questions right. and bringing them into the site at the page that makes sense. Yeah. So I've seen the, the website developed by committee a lot over the years. Yeah. And, and what tends to happen is, you know, say, for example, you're a resort that has, you know, someone that's in charge of F&B and you've got a couple of restaurants and you've got someone in charge of golf sales and someone in charge of group sales and someone in charge of these other things that you do, a spa. And then the GM that has some pet projects, and then you've got maybe someone that the head of housekeeping is involved in it, whatever. Each one of those people is equally represented on your committee, but they're not really representative of every consumer. Meaning that if you're a hotel that has, you know, 90% of your customers don't have anything to do with golf, then that means only 10% do. The golf exposure on your homepage should be representative of that it should be 10 percent. but if you have five people in the committee and you know one 20 percent of those people is golf focused you're going to end up having it where it's weighted too heavily <clears> in golf and what we used to see a lot was what we call the nascar effect on the website where it's they're just slapping every label and every piece of content they can as as quickly as they can into 
the top of the website and it just gets crazy and chaotic and it's not functional it's not helpful for the consumer so you've always got to look at this from the perspective of what is going to work best for the customer and and to to find out what your customers want what are they clicking on when they get there there's a couple ways to find that so tools for monitoring the behavior on the website uh heat mapping software is very effective um and it's very effective in a way that it gives you an idea of what the most click buttons are. What are the scroll lengths on the page? Um, where are, what do your guests find most important? So we use tools like visual website optimizer. We've used tools like crazy egg, and these will basically just turn. I mean, when you look at with the heat map on, it'll make the most click buttons bright red. So you know where most of the clicks are happening on your website. So, you get a really good idea of what your what your guests are interested in when they when they hit your site. So you don't have a NASCAR effect. You can put that one thing that you know they want front and center. Yeah. Also, Google Analytics has a heat map built in as well. Yeah, and so I think you've got to look at the, that that information in context, right? Because there's there's two components to what's popular on the site. One one is the content itself. You know, this is something that people came to the site to look for and they're interested in or it's intriguing to them. But also the position of the content. We know that, you know, in, in the Western world, people read from left to right. They start typically looking at the left top left of the website, work their way to the right and work their way down. So we know that if we put like a navigation item, say amenities at the top left in our navigation, it's going to get more clicks than it will if it's in the top right. So that's why testing is important because you want to understand is my heat lap map looks like it does because of the content, not because of the position. Right. So you can pair that type of thing with a with user testing, which are basically recordings of someone visiting your site and performing an action that you ask them to perform. Um, this can give you great insight as well of you know how did someone actually view the website they'll they'll speak to you out loud and say you know though they may not have clicked on something or moused over something um they may say it out loud like oh that's interesting but they skipped right over and clicked something else so a user testing uh platform can be can be really helpful in determining how your users are truly behaving when they reach your site and yeah. i'm a i'm a big fan of user testing i mean i i just finished one up on today's the 17th on the 15th we ran you know big user testing experiment for one of our clients and a lot of it is anecdotal evidence so you'll notice that you did a test with say five or ten users and one of them said i'm here to book golf and i can't find golf anywhere understand that that is one user who has that issue so you have to balance that and filter it out from the everybody had an issue because you had a book now button in a shop rooms button and it got confusing that's the kind of stuff that you're trying to look for and use that to create your test to optimize the site. So you're kind of using it as a, someone who's never been to the website before. We are all way too close to the project to really be objective. Be about objective. It. It, that's what user testing really helps with. Yeah. And if, it, you know, if you don't have the budget to go do the online stuff, you, there are creative ways you can do it. You can have, you know, a focus group of your spouse, you know, or your family that aren't in the weeds and not looking at it the way you look at it. You can invite guests, you know, offer a free breakfast, put a sign out and say, hey, we're doing a focus group for an hour on Tuesday. 
please sign up if you're interested and we'll offer free breakfast and get guests that are staying on property to come and show you how they navigate the website. And the good thing about that is that you're a hotel website. Virtually everybody has been on a vacation or has gone on a Mm -hmm. business trip before. You're not asking them to evaluate a software website. You know, this is something that everybody has had experience with. So, and, and most people, the well, almost all people, the end goal is the same thing: booking a room. So, how right. easy are you making that? So that kind of leads us into, what do you do with the findings from you know watching the user testing videos and looking at your heat mapping? So, I think number one here is determine: are your users doing what you intend them to do? Namely, getting further down the funnel. Are they getting there? Are they getting distracted? Um, uh, are you including enough information, too much information? Um, that's the type of thing where, you know, say your, your important information is too far down the page and they aren't scrolling there. That's the type of stuff you can find through heat mapping. And yeah, cause you've got to make a determination. If you see someone that consistently people are getting three steps in and then leaving, you've got to figure out why that is, what is causing that. You know, it could be, you know, in the case of they get into a booking engine and you're showing, 27 rates or 57 rooms it could be paralysis through analysis there's too much choice right this paradox of choice phenomena so it might be that you need to pare that down and go for two rate codes and three room types and a, um, and a show more button if right. you have someone who wants to analyze exactly them. because some people are going to want more but you don't want to penalize the ones that don't right and and we know that's a psychological phenomena that exists if you give people too much choice they're not going to make any decision but it could be the opposite of that. It could be that you're not providing enough information. It, you know, you don't have review scores. You don't have photos of the rooms. We, I was on a show earlier talking in um, Lily Markman, um, who have done some shows with uh, or some webinars with. She said she won't book a hotel room unless they have really good quality photos. And especially she wants to see a photo of the bathroom. I asked her about your, your question, Melissa, yes, about I'm what about the toilet? Curious. She wasn't too worried about whether the toilet was in it or not, but she wants to see the bathroom because she feels like that's indicative of the quality of the property is how, hmm. how well decorated and how clean the bathroom looks. Interesting. So, so, you know, it's, it's horses for courses. Different people want different things, but you've got to make sure that you figure out what those things are to the most people, the, you know, the lowest common denominator. Everyone wants to know rate. Everyone wants to know location. Everyone wants to know amenities. Everyone wants to see it. You know, everyone wants to know the quality. So reviews and testimonials and things like that. Putting the right things in at the right time. The other is FAQs. And we talk a lot about how FAQs help from a SEO perspective because people go to Google to search. But if you have an FAQ section, it shouldn't just live on an FAQ page. If there are questions pertaining to the rooms, they should be on the rooms page. If there's questions pertaining to a specific amenity, they should also appear on that amenity page. Yeah, so here, here's another thing. If someone is has a question, you see multiple users are leaving the page. Uh, through user testing, you might find this. If multiple people are leaving a page to go to an FAQs page to get a question answered or back to Google to get a question answered, then you know you need to include the answer to that question on your page so you can keep them moving down the funnel. So that was the next point was determining if your users are following a pattern that moves them down the funnel. If you find points along the way that people are leaving to go find something or they're clicking on something else that happens to be a distraction, you either include the information you need to or you remove information that becomes a distraction. And you know, I think you know, even in you know, here at Fuel, I think we need to be doing a better job of using tooltips and on-page little info call-outs. Yeah, prompts. Be- yeah. Because 
so like I said, I just did this one user testing experiment. This is with a, a golf and accommodation property. And in their package, you're going through it and it says, oh, kids play free, which is a great call to action or was just a great comment. But they had kids play free linked to a page that had all the courses where kids could play free. And we were watching the people go through the process. They get to where it says kids play free. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a link. They click it. Now they're off the package. They're onto a different page. And they're looking at the golf courses on this different page. And they're trying to get back to the booking engine. And that's a more of a case of a less is more. Mm-hmm. Say kids play free. Or maybe a small little tool tip that they can hover over and say on so many golf courses, kids play free. And leave it at that and see what happens as the user goes through yeah, that process. Yeah, where you want you them. don't <laughs> want to send them further away, away. from the right. transaction. But if you didn't do a test to figure that out, yeah. you're saying, oh, I'm being helpful because yeah. we said kids play free. That's great anchor text. It's great for the customer to learn about that, but not when they're about to rip out their credit card. You know, learn about that later. For sure. All right. So we talked about tracking your user's behavior across the site and, and finding out what they're doing and if that's what you want them to yeah, do. Yeah, one other thing I think to, to help with that, and not a lot of hotels do this, and it's always bewildering to me why not, but I think one of the most valuable insights you can get is having an actual keyword search feature on your website. You know, We mm-hmm. use that on the fuel site a lot. And so you can look at where people are and what they type when they're at that on that page to give you an idea of what what questions they have or what's missing from that. And you can start to kind of puzzle piece, plug things into the content. So if you see that people are getting to the rooms page and then that a lot of people are searching for the size of the room or something like that, then you know, oh, I didn't have that specific nugget or an amenities page. Do they offer free parking? Something yeah, along exactly. Something easy you could add. So just using that as a, a tool, uh, you know, it's, it's easy in most CMSs now to add a very functional search feature um, doesn't cost a lot of money, but it can provide a lot of insight. You know, one thing I was thinking about, it's What's time that? for a, a listener quiz. Do you only do this on a desktop? I already thought about that listener <laughs> quiz. Yeah. So if everyone just said no, a resounding no from everyone listening, this is something that you're going to do on a mobile device in a desktop. We're seeing 75 plus percent of people on mobile devices visiting hotel websites. So, so when you're setting up your user <clears throat> testing, have 75 percent of right. respondents do it on mobile yes. and watch your user testing via mobile. Yeah. Look at your heat mapping via mobile. Like don't don't look at it on your desktop because that's what you're doing in your office. Understand that most people aren't viewing it on desktop; they're viewing it on mobile. So, approach your user testing and your heat mapping that way. Even more to Stuart's point of design by committee, you have to really watch your real estate on a mobile device. You know, so the the NASCAR effect can yeah even, really destroy even more there. so. This is this is where you know making sure the user has an easy path to continue down the funnel on a mobile device is is absolutely crucial. And user testing, heat mapping is how you find it. Uh, The next thing we're talking about is tracking your content effectiveness. So ask yourself a few questions. Are are your users entering the site through specific pieces of content other than your homepage? Uh, Is your content enhancing the user experience? Is it turning them off? Uh, Are you following Google's search quality evaluator guidelines? Um, Ask yourself, are your users, uh, what are your users doing after they consume your content? So all of those 
questions can kind of help whether you your content is effective or not. Yeah, and we, it's it's probably a good point to to say that all this is listed out in the show notes because it's a lot to digest through an audio medium, right? We're going through this pretty quickly, but if you go to fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 132, we bullet this out step by step. So that, that might be a kind of study guide for you or once you've done listening in the car or exercising, whatever you're doing, going and, and just going through that little mental checklist on the show notes. Right. Um, so a couple of things you should be monitoring here. Um, what are your most popular entry pages? Uh, what pages receive the most total page views? Do you have pages with exorbitant bounce rates? What does the page flow of your page look like so, or your site look like? So what pages lead someone to what pages looking at the flow? Um, do you have pages that aren't getting any traffic at all? Um, are users sharing your content via social media and or you know, linking to the content from their own websites? Um, and what landing pages are generating conversions on your site? Those are a lot of good questions. Those are all good, really good questions. And, and it's tough, right? Because I think we could spend a, an episode really digging deep into each one of them. Right. Yeah, content we could we could have multiple episodes on. But those are a few things you need to, to ask yourself right away. You know, what's your most effective content? And and can you improve other? Yeah, and, and what's the purpose of each content? You know, because I think one of the mistakes folks make is they'll look at data in make the wrong inference from it so so bounce rate is a great example of that right you just stole my thunder sorry you want to have this thought out loud yes i'll i'll have this thought out loud if okay. i can speak words so bounce rate like you said can be taken out of context if somebody comes into your site looking at your contact page and really they're just looking for your address you know your contact us page probably has a pretty darn high bounce rate it's probably going to be 90 something percent and you've answered the question the pe person was looking for and that's okay but if your amenities page has a 90 percent bounce rate you've got a problem that needs to be addressed yeah and you got to look at the the consumer and what they're trying to accomplish at that time right google has a 50.3 percent bounce rate now over 50.3 percent of all google searches result in zero clicks now because they're doing a really good job answering the question with their you know, the knowledge graph, the, the mm -hmm. question box, the feature snippet, whatever you want to call it at the top, is answering the question. If I go in and Google how old is Bob Dylan, it's going to show me how old Bob Dylan is. I don't need to click on it. 97,000 right? years old. He's, he's, I think he's only in his 70s, like 78 or 79. Or something. He's 78 years old. Yeah, he was born go. May 24th, 1941. There you Bob go. Dylan... Robert Allen Zimmerman. Okay, right. Google, right. that's oh, enough. So. <laughs> um, but no, I, I didn't. I searched it, but I'm not clicking anything. Right, I know exactly. everything I need to know about Bob right. Allen. So your, your website yeah. might be that. Um, or, or someone might be landing on your page because if you've got content about upcoming events, things like that, that, that might be where people are landing on. So you've got to think, okay, let me match the value proposition of this page with that consumer and see if there's a way I can nudge them towards... A, a favorable outcome for me. So if someone is landing on a page about an event or about an area attraction, showing rates right there and trying to get them to book your hotel is probably not the right thing. But guess what? You can now tag them so that you can remarket to them. You might be able to show them some 
valuable content that they can get if they provide an email address, something like that. So you've got to think not not every page on your site is going for a home run. Some pages have a different purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's landing on the home page, yeah, you want to push them into the, the conversion funnel of booking, but not every page is going to have that. Well, success. that's what I was going to say. If you look at something like your home page and it has a ridiculously high bounce rate, bounce rate, you're doing something wrong. If if you have a a blog post where your intention is to send the user into deeper pages of your site, say it's a a things to do page, and you have other pages about each of those things to do that you're linking to and no one's following those links, ask yourself why. Is there yeah. something you can do to improve the experience? Yeah, and we did an episode a long time ago, I think this is one of yours, Pete, where we talked about never sending someone to a dead end. Like yes. always think about what's next. And and so you should think, look, analyze every page from that perspective. Who are the people that will land here and what are they trying to accomplish? And the other thing with bounce rate and, and traffic in general is part of it is the quality of the traffic you're sending, right? So your your bounce rate on your homepage could go up through the roof, but it could be that nothing changed on your homepage. It could be that the marketing that you're doing, the advertising campaign you just ran on TravelZoo sent a bunch of garbage traffic mm-hmm. that wasn't qualified. It wasn't a match for your, your offering. You know, if you all of a sudden, if you're a four-star hotel with a high ADR and now you're getting some low-end, you know, low-income people coming to the site, they might bounce, right? Well, they might not be a match. A- another thing you should be looking at here is, you know, what what type of content are you really truly displaying when someone reaches the page? Uh, if someone visits your page on a, on a mobile device and you throw a big pop-up in front of them that's really hard to close and they just bounce right back to Google to go search something, search for your property on a different... Uh, OTA or whatever, um, notice that that interstitial increased your bounce rate significantly and, and you need to do something about that. And you shouldn't have a pop-up on a mobile device anyway, just pro tip, at least on the very first visit. But a couple things you can do for this. So tools for monitoring this. So Google Analytics is something that you should all have already. That's you know a great way to look at you know, most most viewed landing pages or most landed on page, most most viewed pages, you can find your bounce rates there, um, and you can find page flow there to to find you know where people are going next. They hit your home page. Well, what's the second most visited page? What's the third most visited page? Are you sending them closer to the purchase with each step? Um, other things you can look at are your social media channels. What what pieces of content on your site get the most shares? Um, you can use backlink monitoring tools like Ahrefs or Moz's Link Explorer to find out, you know, if other websites are finding your content valuable and linking to it. Um, you can use that to, you know, recreate some some similar type of content. Um, you can also track mentions of your brand through things like Google Alerts or Moz's Fresh Web Explorer. So let's talk about some of the stuff you can do with this. I know we covered a bit, but um, when you evaluate your top entry pages, um, are your top entry pages relevant with your business goals? Um, And even if your top entry pages aren't necessarily relevant with your direct business goals, how can you push someone into your funnel or into a marketing list? So things like you, you, one of your top entry pages may be a 
things to do in your area page. And if you as a hotel are claiming that type of search result, great, good for you. You created a great piece of content about your area. Um, it's not necessarily... You get in traffic. Can you put that yeah. in the bank, <coughs> Melissa? No, sir, you cannot. You, you cannot put traffic in the bank. You cannot put traffic in the bank, but you can use that. You know, It's obviously a brand awareness tool. Now someone's familiar with you. Now they can join your website remarketing list. Um, can, it, it, can you use that type of content to guide someone into your funnel and say, you know, I was looking for things to do in this area. Maybe I'll stay with this hotel and... You, just, you, you need to evaluate and test those type of things. Which, which is why the, the content needs to have a personality and not be vanilla, right? I mean, it should be, if it's ranking, it's probably got some unique value proposition. But take a risk. Be bold with your content. You know, have, have an opinion. Be, be, you know, show your personality. Add some um, personal touch to it. Like if it's a, a page about restaurants in the area, Talk authentically about the restaurants you love and why you love it and, and have other staff contribute that too. Because every time someone comes to your website, it's an opportunity to, to create a relationship with that mm -hmm. person. And people want relationships with people, not with entities. So the more you can add a personal touch, I think the, the more value that's going to create. Yeah, and I'd also say that with content, if people are coming directly into the things they do in your area, you have an opportunity but you also have something that you need to focus on because you're ranking very well for that term. You want Google to also know that you are delivering on the promise. That once they get there, you need to work real hard converting them, like Phil said, to a newsletter, to a booking, to another page, to whatever else it might be. But what you don't want them to do is just to pogo stick, go there, eh, this isn't what I want because that's going to be a very short-lived piece of traffic, right? You get there, it doesn't do what Google thinks the customer wants, Google's going to stop serving that page. Right. So the Google, Google <coughs> you know, primarily looks at three things. It looks at content, it looks at links, and, it, and then it has the rank brain. It's the kind of third mm -hmm. pillar of its algorithm. And rank brain looks heavily at the interactions you have with the consumer or the consumer has with your brand. So, yeah, if, if they're not engaging with the content, if they're not converting, you're not going to maintain a mm -hmm. high ranking. Yeah, and I think that's why also... This should be an iterative process. It's not, oh, it's January. I'm going to go ahead and start thinking about optimizing my site for the year. This is constantly evolving. You see a page that's working well, focus on that page, make it work better. You see something that's not working at all, either kill it, 301 it, or you know, work to make it a more effective page. But keep doing this over and over and over again. Yeah, and I, th I think going, going along with that, you know, what are your top entry pages? You need to find out... The pages in your flow that get people further into the, the booking process. So what pages have lead to the highest conversion rates? Those those type of answering those questions will will really help you overall improve the overall conversion rate, rate of the site because you can say, all right, I know once people hit page X, they're very likely to then jump into the booking engine. So how can I send people to page X as step two or one? Uh, more often than not. So looking at that page flow, finding those pages that are doing really well for you uh, and using those more often. Another thing you want to focus on is pages that aren't getting any traffic at all. Well, you obviously created the content, but for what at this point? It's just kind of sitting out there and in, in, in the ether for no reason. Uh, it's getting no traffic. So evaluate that content that, that gets no traffic. 
um, you need to determine if that traffic follows the search quality evaluator guidelines. And a big portion of that is called EAT. E-A-T. I like to eat. Yeah, so EAT stands for Expertise, Authoritativeness, and Trustworthiness. So the expertise portion, are you an expert on a given topic or area? Have you proven yourself as such? Um, are, are you providing information that a quality rater would consider useful? So when, you know, Google has people that'll sit down and look at pages that are ranking for a particular query and they'll read through all of those pages and, and they will put a check whether or not they think that you are an actual expert on that area. Can you imagine if that was your job? Like that's all you did all day. <laughs> that's crazy. It sounds boring, but I mean, it's, it's, it's quite necessary. That's how they, that's how they avoid people from gaming their system. They put a, they put a human touch in it. Um, so that's the expertise portion. Are you a real expert? Have you provided useful information? So the next portion is authoritativeness and essentially is, can you establish yourself as an authority? Um, are you using things like author bios or are you displaying that your business or the author of the content has been recognized by other outlets or has written about this topic? many times and and if you have a blog on your hotel's website if you continuously use the same author um, that that can create authoritativeness I mean that a quality rater will look at that and say okay this person is an authority they write a lot they are an expert yeah and my understanding is with authoritativeness they're also looking at the brand's authority not just Correct. the individual's authority so Things. So if you're a if you're a, if you're a brand, you're a hotel, right? So show yourself as an authority. Yeah, you have a lot of content. Yes, you've been recognized by TripAdvisor. You have a certificate of excellence. You have a AAA Four Diamond. You have your Pete Awesome accredited. Yeah, your Pete Awesome accredited. <laughs> that, I think that he, he only gave away. that out ever to one hotel brand. Do you know what it was? Beast Weister. Oh, Beast Weister. Yeah. <laughs> Got the big winners. Research. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So after you've ex- established your expertise and authoritativeness, the the last and what I feel like is an extremely important part of all this is the trustworthiness. Are you prov- is what you're writing true? So if you say um, the top ten restaurants in your area, and that's the content you're writing about. Are they really the top 10 restaurants in your area? A quality rater can review that. If you just have the, you know, a couple restaurants that are right around your property and you have some type of relationship with and you're just including them because they're your buddies, that's not trustworthy. Someone can go to a TripAdvisor and see the ratings for these properties, uh, for these other restaurants. Um, you can, you can just be truthful. If you're, if you're writing about the top five seafood restaurants go find the top five seafood restaurants write about that be honest about it be truthful yeah it's about authenticity you know and and i think this is where some sites that rely on paid content heavily get in trouble because there's an agenda there if they're you know bubbling up paid content above organic this is this is a way google gets that type of crap out of their out of their um, search results is by having people review these search results and say, is this trustworthy? Mm, okay, no, that's not. The, you have a bunch of one-star restaurants you're listing as the top. That's and, not trustworthy. And I would say, I mean, I think Stuart's dead on. 
if it's paid content or even if you're paying someone to produce content, you'd be very careful with third-party authors who are writing or ghostwriting for your site because if their job is to produce X number of words for you or produce this content, you need to verify that the content is actually effective because I've seen that on many occasions where you're like, what, what is the point of this article? It, it, it's not helpful. If I am a scuba diver and this article, when I read it, it's like that has nothing to do with what an actual scuba diver would want to see mm-hmm. in an article. It really hurts. And it takes a lot of work to rebuild that trust if you come across as a shill just writing content for the sake of content. Yeah, and another <clears throat> danger of that with third-party content contributors is that – and we get reached out to all the time from folks saying, Hey, can we put this, we've got, we read this article and we have this resource and can you link to us or can Mm -hmm. we contribute an article? But they're doing that at scale. So Google will know those people. So that becomes the author or they're linking to their own site from all these articles. Google's going to see that pattern. Yeah. So you're, you're going to get caught with your pants down eventually not, if you start using those people. Not always. If those people are writing about a bunch of topics that they're not an expert on, true but if that person continuously goes to sites say they were a marketing site or a marketing writer and they're very knowledgeable about marketing and they go to a bunch of marketing sites and then they came to us and said you know hey can we write for you we genuinely consider it because hey that might be good content that we might want and it's relevant that person is an expert they sure. they bring authority if if we have a relationship with them that mm-hmm. is one that is understanding that we're sharing value there right right those aren't the people that reach out. It's never the, the, the people that blindly reach out to you are they're trying to game the system. Yeah. They're trying to you know, productize something that shouldn't be productized. Right, right. Um, another part of this, the Google Quality Rater guidelines here is I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but are you inhibiting a user from consuming the content? Are you putting a giant pop up there that is too hard to close? Are you covering your content? This is this is a bad practice. If if a quality rater visits your site and is determining whether your content is worthy of ranking in a Google search algorithm and the first thing they see is a giant pop-up that they can't close, that's a ding against your content. Um, so if you see like I mentioned earlier, if you have a page that's getting no traffic is is something like this inhibiting yeah, so something someone mechanically from getting happening there. that's preventing it. Yeah. Is it not rendering properly? Do you have a giant broken image that takes four scrolls to get past? Those type of things are are what we're talking about here. How would you determine if it was just not useful content? Would you then take it off the site? I think think you want to look historically, right? But just because somebody's not getting traffic now doesn't mean it didn't always. So I think you want to look back and see... Did, did something change? Well, and, and was it, it timing-wise? Because it's not relevant anymore? It could have been something like what we just talked about earlier with the Newsaroos, where Google had an algorithm update, right? And then they evaluated their search results, and now there's a better piece of content that they feel needs to outrank you. And now you got pushed to, say, page three. No one's found your content for a long time. Yeah. So what you need to do, instead of just getting rid of the content, really look into it, evaluate it, find out what the main topic is. Go back to Google, search that topic, and and find out if you know these sites that are now outranking you, can you provide better information than them? If so, go ahead and do so, and then you'll hopefully climb back up in the rankings. If you truly cannot provide better information than that, 
it may be time to kill that page. So, so Google actually gives you the answer to that question. So part of their quality guidelines, there's there's three pillars of it. There's what you talked about already, which is the EAT. Mm-hmm. There's the your money or your life, which really doesn't apply to hotels. It, I mean, it, I think you can argue it sort of does. If you certain queries would provide a your money, your life. Right. So they're basically article. saying, how would you describe your money or your life to? to so uh, I would say, is it a decision where someone is looking to spend money? Or to look, in this case, it doesn't really apply, but uh, looking for something around their health. Right. Or, or well-being. Or right? well-being. So, but, but you could argue vacationing and vacationing relaxation could be your is, money. Is, is, and it improves your life quality. Mm-hmm. So Google basically puts more rigor into the scrutiny of sites that uh, where your money or your life is, is applicable. So if I'm just writing about video games or something like that, probably not going to have the rigor than if I'm writing about cancer treatment. That That's pretty much what your right. money or your life is. So think about it this way. If you have a an article about vacationing in your area, that is a your money or life type of article, and that's when you need to apply the EAT philosophy. Mm-hmm. Is, is this a decision that is affecting someone's money in life? And is the person writing about it an expert? Have they shown authority? And are they providing truthful, trustworthy information? Right. So, but before they get to those two pillars in the guidelines, they talk about the, the main pillar, which is beneficial purpose. Mm-hmm. Every page, the first thing they look at, the first way they scrutinize it is, does this page have a beneficial purpose? Is the purpose of this page going to benefit someone in some way? So that's that's the answer to your question, Melissa. Is if that page just exists to exist, yeah. it's not really doing anything. Right. You don't need to have it. And this is where it changes because you know a lot of times you'll see pages that used to work well. To your point, you know, and Phil, I'll kind of pose this to you. So I wrote a kick-ass piece of content called, you know, ten things to do spring 2017, and that ranked really well. Obviously, that's now. Three not effective old. anymore. It's three years old. It was incredibly effective. So it first met that pillar, but then it slowly works its way out. I mean, what's a better way of writing that type of content? Yeah, you wouldn't include the uh, the, year? the year in the URL. You could in the page title because that's what you want to show people. You have new relevant information. So what you would do is update that content, put the 2020 date on it, include all the 2020 event information, and resubmit it to Google for indexing. And then if that content has done well in the past as an evergreen piece of content, it has some authority, probably some links pointing back to it. That's that, you know, that has a very good chance of ranking again. Yeah. And you know, the, the case that's happens a lot with hotels is if they have a big event in their Mm -hmm. area going on on an annual basis. And and some people make the mistake of they'll create a new page for every year's event. And for the same reason that you just said, Phil, you should create the URL to be non-year specific and then every year go and refresh that content. Make sure the title has it, but not the URL itself. Yeah. Christmas events in your area. That's it. Yeah. Don't say Christmas events in your area 2020 in your URL. Yeah. You do that in your page title. You do that in your headers. Yep. Yeah, for sure. But, all right, let's touch on the last couple of things here. So, um we're still talking about your content effectiveness and we need to determine what's your most shared content what are people are people sharing your content on social media facebook instagram uh twitter what have you um 
is is your most shared content does it have a pattern can you recreate that pattern have you hit this stride where you can say all right people keep sharing this type of content that i create is it you know events postings to do mm-hmm. attractions whatever people keep sharing it great if you can recreate it also really evaluate that content can you get that content to push people further in your funnel because obviously people are visiting it via those shares right so maybe you wrote an article about an in-depth in interview with your housekeeping staff or you know some someone on staff and it resonated because it was a human interest story and you really got to the core of the person and showed them as a human and how they come in and they're passionate about the job every day maybe you wrote an article about that and it got shared a lot well it's very likely you should write more though so so you have a a human piece like that you 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 interviewed your head of housekeeping well then maybe you should interview your head of fmb i mean look those people if they're interviewed most likely will share it on their own personal social media to say hey you know i was this is my interview and then their family and friends share it and then when their family and friends share it there's a lot more exposure that you might not have got. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a humanistic type of piece. Yeah. Um, lastly, um, solely SEO from, from my perspective here, I'm going to be a little greedy. Uh, so what type of content are you creating that is getting the most links? And if it's not getting direct backlinks, use things like the uh, Fresh Web Explorer that can say, you know, you're being mentioned. How, how often is your brand being mentioned? Um, if you're being mentioned, you need to go and do some link outreach. Uh, so use the Fresh Web Explorer, type in your brand name, find out all the people that are talking about you and didn't give you a link and go ask for one. Say, hey, you know, thanks for mentioning us here, wherever and please link to our homepage. That's easy enough. Most people shouldn't have a problem doing that if they've already included the mention. Um, yeah, I had a conversation with someone recently and they, they she was talking about how there was an article written about them in a, a major publication, like a top notch, like New York Times kind of a publication, which would have been a really authoritative link. And the article did not link to them. And so they went to back to their PR agency and said, you should, you should link, you should ask New York times for a link. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, they won't do that. They won't do that. And she was like a, a, a bulldog with this and she wouldn't let it go. And she kept asking and eventually she convinced the PR agency to go and ask the New York times. And guess what? The New York times said, sure, we'll do that. Yeah. And if, you never know. If unless your PR you agency isn't doing it, go find that author, mm-hmm. find them on social, find mm-hmm. them on Twitter, whatever, tweet them, say, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. thanks for the mention of our property. Would you mind, would you mind throwing a link our way? Yep. In most cases, that person has edit capability and they mm-hmm. will. In most cases where it's relevant, you know, so they get a probably a ton of junk coming at them. Yeah. But if it makes a lot of sense to have it in there, they, their, their author is going to want their content to be as effective as possible right. because it's, it's a reflection of themselves. And, and reach out, reach out genuinely, right? So like they mention your, your property, reach out with your property at yourproperty.com email address to that person. Or, um, if, yeah, you, don't, if your don't property your has SEO guide right. doing it, yeah, don't, don't, I, I'm not going to do that for you unless you explicitly ask me to, I want an email address from your property or I want your property's Twitter account to reach out to 
the author's Twitter account and and ask. It's not that big of yeah. an ask. And be genuine about it. You know, t- tell them why you like their article mm-hmm. and how you think a link to this would benefit their audience. And this is this is this is kind of the exact opposite of what Story was mentioning earlier of that spray and pray link building approach. Don't do that. Reach out where it makes sense, where it's very genuine, where you got a real mention. Um, and, and, and just ask for, ask for the link to your site. They already talked about you. It shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. And, and this is more important than ever. You know, we talked about this, I think on the news Roos a couple of weeks ago, how Google is looking at links differently. And historically links have always been one of the three main pillars of, of Google search, uh, algorithm and how they determine ranking. And we've always kind of used the analogy of links as, as like votes and, you know, the vote from Pete's blog is going to be less valuable than a vote from the New York times. And, but so you want volume and a spread of naturally looking links. And we've always known that that's been the case for since really the inception of Google since close to the beginning, but now they've started to look a little differently. Now they're beginning to degrade the value of links over time. So when you get the link, is going to determine a part of its value too. So still, the New York Times is still more valuable than Pete. But if I got a even a, my awesome award, yeah, even if I got a link from Pete's awesome award, um, if I get that today, and New York Times link was maybe ten years ago, you know what, Pete's link might be more valuable now. We, yeah, we're not sure the fish. actual, you know, how the ratios and the diminishing return, but it it is a factor. So you've got to continue to work on building links or. What we prefer to say is earning links, you know, and sometimes you earn the link by being noteworthy or remarkable enough to get someone to write the article about you. You did the hard part. Now just ask them to actually put the link in that article. Right. All right. So you guys just got part one. Yeah. So we're breaking this. This is this is a long episode. And rather than doing a two hour marathon, we decided we're going to split this one into two. So we've done two different perspectives of looking at consumer behavior. We've got two more to cover. So that will be in next week's episode of the award-winning Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. So if, if you got nothing out of this episode, then all the good stuff is in the next one. Right? And right. if you got a ton out of this one, guess what? The next one's even better. That's right. But <laughs> wait, there's more. <laughs> Uh, hey, are we putting ads in this? Is that what we're doing? We're advertising our own show. <laughs> For the next see. 17 minutes, we will ship you a free handshake. <laughs> How are we going to ship, ship I, a free I don't handshake? Know. Sweet we handshake, handshake emoji. Hand. We have bottle openers now. We do have bottle openers. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be, by the time this comes out, people may actually be at HSMI. So if you're listening to this on the route, if you come find us at the booth, we've got little key rings that we're giving out, which are bottle openers. And I know for a fact that at the end of the day at HSMAI, there's a little cocktail hour where there will be beer bottles, which you'll need for some of them. The good beers, you'll need a bottle opener. So we got those. Handy. Handy dandy. So, yeah. Good job today, Phil. Hopefully the next episode will be just as stellar. The notes are already done, and I know it's going to be because I already read the notes. So, yeah. I've got a better giveaway for you. Maybe next trade show. Okay. So we just talked about, you know, the catch line of do you suck or don't suck or whatever pacifiers well i thought about that but then (laughs) i thought more strategically you can get little box of mints that say if you're gonna suck suck on these (laughs) nice (laughs) i love it nice i like it i I will do my research on mints customized personalized mints actually i think i've seen those before so that's a that's a good one 
Oh, we need it. You know what we need to do? We need to do a contest. I've seen a few people do this. Misha actually won one of these yes, contests for another person once. Where, you know, it's a slogan competition and people can submit. So, yeah, maybe we'll do that for fuel. Have our listeners submit what the slogan should be on a fuel hotel marketing podcast t-shirts. That would be pr- pretty cool. I that bet we've be got fun. some creative folks out there to do it. All right. Let's do it. Hey, so guys, brand new information. <laughs> We're going to do a competition and you'll get a prize to be determined. But just no, you'll get one of the t-shirts. You, well, you'll get the t-shirt, <laughs> but we'll probably we'll sweeten the pot a little bit more than that. You know, we'll give them some other swag. But yeah, maybe we'll have them on the show. How about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, submit your ideas for slogans for the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast to go on t-shirts and other gubbins. Send them to info at fueltravel dot com with the subject line of t-shirt slogan. T-shirt slogan, info at fueltravel.com. Or you can just hit us up on Twitter at fueltravel as well. Do a hashtag. Make up a hashtag that's funny. And we'll, we'll, we'll read <laughs> we'll, them we'll out. Check, we'll just be monitoring all funny hashtags. Yeah, no, well, it's going to be at us. Oh, okay. right? Yeah. <laughs> Better this, be at us. This is Qu- the worst competition ever. <laughs> I feel like we need to like get some legal jargon down. Like no no purchase necessary yeah. to enter and all that stuff. What? It's not really, it's not really a contest. Not is it winning not? anything crazy. And we've got to define how we choose the winners and who wins. It's, you know... No, we don't. It's legalist. You're not allowed to apply if you're in certain states, all that malarkey. Let's just pretend we did all that. Hey, we did all that. All right. We did all that. We just paused the recording, went and did all that, yeah. and then we came back. So we're good. <laughs> no one sue us. That'll be good. Just send us your slogans. Alrighty. So we're going to post the notes to this show, fueltravel.com slash podcast, episode 132. Next week's episode will be a follow-up to this. So It'll be 133. It will be 133. We increment by one each time. It's a stellar system that's worked for 132 episodes. Pete, if, yes. they, if they want to find you on the interwebs, where are they going to do such a thing? Check Twitter, first of all, at P DiMeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. Or any funny hashtag, because Pete's usually yeah, lurking. Yeah, I'm going to monitor all of them right now, just in case we have a t-shirt slogan. Awesome. And Melissa. I'm on Twitter at M-A-Kavanagh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Philip. You can find me on Twitter at P-Fariska, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. You can find me at Stuart Butler. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. And again, if you want questions answered or you have an idea for a slogan, info at fueltravel.com is the place to hit us up. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Hey, do you know that we lost a fuel again recently? We mean? lost a the equivalent of a five-year-old child in our Biggest Loser competition. Oh, that should have been on the oh. episode. So we lost 35 pounds combined How over the really? first two weeks. Wow. So that's the equivalent of a, of a five-year-old. That's pretty good.